So have you ever tried to read the fine print of a contract that you're getting ready to sign? Maybe you're buying a home or, or a, a cell phone contract or, or maybe, maybe even like your cable bill. Or maybe you signed up for something online, perhaps, and, and you, um, before you could do anything, you had to agree to the terms and conditions, but the print was so long or so small that you couldn't read it, and so you just click yes, I accept, because you're in a hurry. Well, today I have some good news and I have some bad news. Um, the good news is that we can follow Jesus just the way we are, and we can take small steps to grow in that relationship. But the bad news is that as we keep following Jesus, there will come a point in time when we need to read the fine print and agree to certain terms and conditions if we're going to keep on following. And that's where we're going to be this morning. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, may they be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Reading the fine print. So this happened to those who were first following Jesus. If you were with us a few weeks ago, we heard how Jesus called four fishermen to follow him. And all Jesus said then was that he would make them fishers of men and women. Jesus didn't lay out all the details of what a life of following him, a life as a disciple, was going to be like. And and to be honest, it's probably a good thing that he didn't, because if he had, they probably would never have followed him in the first place. They wouldn't have left their nets and everything behind to go with him. But, but Jesus didn't share with them the fine print on the first day. He didn't. Instead, he revealed what it meant for him to be the Messiah and for them to be his followers. And some of those terms and conditions were hard to hear. And so today we're going to read the fine print about Jesus and following Jesus as, as told to us from the Gospel of Mark. So let me paint the picture for you of where we are in the story. Jesus had been traveling with the disciples for quite some time now, and, and his, his fame was beginning to spread. He was healing the sick, he was driving out demons and, and performing miracles that amazed and thrilled people. Jesus was also making a name for himself as an amazing teacher and preacher who could put to shame some of the religious leaders of his day. The crowds following him were growing, and at the height of his popularity, Jesus took his disciples aside, and, and he's, he started to discuss what was going on, and he started by asking them the question that everyone was asking. And we find it in Mark Eight. Let's listen in. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say that you're one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. They told Jesus that some people thought he was Elijah, the great Old Testament prophet who had been taken up into heaven and was supposed to come back before the Messiah would come. And, and, and then they said others said that he was um, uh, the reoccurrence of John the Baptist because his teaching was so relevant and powerful. But understanding Jesus' identity 
as, is as important to us today as it was to those who followed him when he walked on this earth. Because there's a lot to be said about identity. How you respond and how you react to someone is often dependent on your understanding of that person's identity. I, I liken it to finding out that someone is a doctor and that inevitable, oh, you're a doctor? Well, let me ask you one thing. This may shock you, but as a minister, sometimes people act differently around me when they don't know what my vocation is. Identity is important because knowing who someone is often determines how we respond to that person. C.S. Lewis, the author of, of many books, including things like the Chronicles of Narnia, once wrote about the identity of Christ, and, and he talked about this thing called the trilemma. Now, the trilemma was an ap apologetic argument. That means it was a, a way to argue that Christ was who he said he was. And the argument was simple. Lewis said that Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. Now, Lewis argued that Jesus was either crazy, making him a lunatic, so crazy, in fact, that he was willing to die for his lunacy. If not a lunatic, then he was a liar, and he told lies and deceived everyone around him. Um, this deception was so great, then, that the people who followed him were fooled into following him, even at the cost of their own lives. But if Jesus was not a lunatic or a liar, then Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was. Jesus is Lord. The tri trilemma gave three options. You could call Jesus a crazy person. You could call Jesus a deceiver. Or you could call Jesus what he claimed to be, which was Lord. Now, while I believe in the latter, um, I'm sure that many of you would argue that you really can't encapsulate the duality of Christ in such a simple illustration but I think it does well to demonstrate the point that recognizing the identity of Christ directly, directly relates to our response and relationship to Christ. Who Jesus is, is important. If Jesus is a liar or a madman, then following him is lunacy. However, if Jesus is something else, if he is more than just an ordinary person, then what he says and what he does has significant ramifications to our lives and how we choose to live them. Confusing Jesus' identity today is equally as common as it was in the past. The people who followed Jesus didn't know for sure who Jesus was while they were following him. They were learning and discovering who he was as they traveled with him. As they engaged in his teaching and engaged in his ministry, they discovered his identity. It was Peter, Peter who proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. And in the word Christ and Messiah, they mean roughly the same thing. You see, Christ is, is Greek and Messiah is, is Hebrew, and they both refer to the anointed one. Um, the Christ was a promised leader of God's people that was going to come and rescue the people from oppression and set them free and and bring them all the good life. Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ was absolutely correct, but Jesus knew that his understanding of what it meant to be the Christ needed some clarification. So Jesus began to share with Peter and the disciples the fine print. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and teachers of religious law, he would be killed, but three days later 
he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Jesus took him, or Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Jesus is clear that the Christ is going to be rejected and suffer and eventually die. And while he also says that he will rise again in three days, the disciples don't hear or focus on that information. They just hear about the suffering and the death. And Peter doesn't like what he hears because, think about it, if the leader is going to suffer and die, so are the followers. So are the followers. Up until this point, Jesus has been a rock star. He's been a rock star. Everywhere he has gone, there are crowds and people are going crazy for him. The disciples are, are tasting this incredible success, incredible success and growing popularity. There's so much power to be seen in the healings and the miracles, and the people loved them. Everything was going so well, and Peter had his eyes on this worldly success, and he doesn't want that to end. And so he rebukes Jesus, and Jesus rebukes Peter. Get away from me, Satan, exclamation point, Jesus said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. How is your mental image of Jesus shattering right now? Jesus is not dramatic. He is direct and somewhat harsh. Jesus doesn't calmly tell Peter uh, to be quiet and listen to the rest of the teaching and redirect him. He demands that Peter gets behind him and refers to him as Satan himself. Where's the loving, compassionate Jesus? Where's the soft-spoken, gentle teacher? It would appear that there is some significance to this teaching that can't be overlooked, some fine print, some very important fine print is being addressed. What Jesus is saying here to Peter is that Peter is looking out for his own interests, and that he is only focusing on the things of this world and not on the things of God. Peter is being swept up in worldly success. Peter sees power and popularity and fame, which in time he thinks is going to lead Jesus and all of the followers into these seats of power. Peter is looking at the world. His vision, he can't see past himself. Peter is also looking at Jesus as a consumer. As a consumer, Peter is trying to get everything good he can out of Jesus. But Jesus isn't looking for consumers to ride his coattails. He's looking for followers, and, and followers have to not only be willing to read the fine print, but they have to be willing to agree to live it out. So Jesus gathers the crowd together, and he gives them the fine print. And here it is. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul as anything 
anything worth more than your soul. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The fine print, the fine print of following Jesus can be summed up in eight words. Deny yourself. Take up a cross. Follow me. Are you personally willing to say yes to these conditions of discipleship? To deny ourselves means that there may come a time in our life when we will have to say no to ourselves and what we want in order to be faithful in following Jesus. It may mean that we need to say no to a relationship because we know that it is not good for us. But more importantly, it's not one that honors God. It might mean saying no to an opportunity or a job that we know isn't in line with God's will. It may mean saying no to some activity or plan laid out for us by friends that we know isn't moral or honest. It may mean letting go of something good. Maybe even something very good because it pulls us away from what is best for us in our relationship with Christ. Denying ourselves is never easy, and there can be pain along the way, but there comes a point in each of our lives when to follow means we have to agree to the terms and conditions found in the fine print, and we have to deny ourselves. I recently read about a man named Andrew who faced this defining moment in his life when he was in college. Now, Andrew's dream was to enter into politics, and, and everything was falling into place for that dream. Um, Andrew was an intern in the White House, and he worked in the, in the United States Senate, and he helped on a Senate campaign. Andrew was class president of his university, and he was even being um, mentored by the college president. Everything was falling into place for a wonderful career in politics. Andrew also had a growing faith, as he attended church and got involved in a campus fellowship. As Andrew continued to follow Jesus, he began to feel a different calling on his life. And at a conference, he heard God challenge him to stop being a minor league Christian and start playing in the majors. Andrew said, and I quote, It was at that point where I needed to stop pursuing my successful political career and pursue Jesus full time. But that meant leaving behind the success I had along with the potential jobs in D.C. in the political realm and my gained network of colleagues. This is what Peter faced. To follow Jesus was going to mean leaving behind the success and potential power. Again, as on the shores of the Sea of Galilee where Peter left his, his boats full of fish and nets and fishermen, Peter was going to have to leave behind the fame and the fortune as Andrew followed Jesus, he heard the fine print and knew that he had to set aside his political and business life in order to fully follow Jesus. We can't keep following Jesus if we are interested, if all we're interested in is fame and fortune. If power and popularity are why you follow, then we better quit now because the fine print says that sacrifice and self-denial are part of the Jesus follower's life. And in all of our lives, in all of our, all of our lives, there will come a moment where the fine print confronts us. It's the moment when we hear Jesus say, if you want to follow me, 
you must deny yourself. For me, this moment, uh, one of these defining moments happened when I, when I made the decision to resign my position as a public school teacher. Now, I was on the fence about this whole following God's calling thing, um, and I clearly remember the night that I made the decision. I was sitting on the back stairs of our house in Kansas watching a clear, starry night sky, and I was torn between continuing my profession and part-time work at the church. See, I had planned to be a teacher and a volunteer at the church uh, like my parents had and are. See, they they have a really good life. I wrestled with the reality of full-time ministry. Would my children be provided for? Would my marriage survive it? Would I have the ability to do what I felt God was calling me to do? I was very focused on the material side of it, on the worldly game, on the, on the consumerism. But sitting on the back porch, I remember praying about the choice and asking God for clarity and guidance. And as I watched the night sky, I, I vividly remember I saw a shooting star. And then a few minutes later, I saw another shooting star. And in those moments, I felt God ease the burden of the decision. It was as though God was reminding me that, that, he, that he holds the whole world in his hand already. And it was though he was saying, Tim, I hold the whole world in my hands, and you're a part of that world. And a peace came over me in that decision. It was though I realized that God was saying, Tim, I got you. I got you, bud. We can live our entire lives the way we want and achieve great success in this world. But if we do it without God and without following Jesus, then when we get to the end of our lives... We have nothing, nothing. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. What good is it to gain the entire world and yet forfeit your soul? As we follow Jesus, there comes a defining moment for all of us when we have to read the fine print and decide if we are willing to deny ourselves. But Jesus goes on to say that the length in which we should go in our self-denial is, is all the way to the point of death. And Jesus drove that point home with his followers by, by saying that we had to take up a cross. Now, for us, taking up a cross is, is a metaphor of how, just how far we should go in our self-denial. But for the followers of Jesus in the time, this was very real. Crucifixion was the means of execution by the Romans. And, and the crowds listening to Jesus would, would have seen people dying on crosses. It was a part of their lives. Imagine what it would be like to see crosses down Herbison Road or Clark, where every month you would see people crucified. The Romans were experts at crucifixion, and they used, they used it as a deterrent to crime. And so they wouldn't just hang someone on a cross. They would leave them there after they had died for days, if not weeks. They would leave their bodies there to be torn apart by birds and animals. Dying for their faith was a real possibility for the crowd listening to Jesus. John the Baptist had just been beheaded for his faith. Carrying a cross could happen to these people if they continued to follow Jesus. And I wonder, as I often wonder, um, if we as Christ followers in this community, if we were being persecuted for our faith or put in cages like Christians in the Middle East, would we still be willing to gather to worship and proclaim our faith in Jesus if it meant being marched out to the edge of town to be hung on a cross? 
Well, the chances are that none of us will ever have to face this. But this was a real possibility, a real possibility for the people listening to Jesus. The fine print was difficult. Today, we are very blessed. We are blessed to, have, to not have to suffer the same fine print that the early Christ followers had to face. But there is a, there's still a cross that we must bear. There's still a cross that we have to face. Even though we don't face crucifixion, we are still called to pick up our cross and follow. So, what does it look like to pick up your cross? Picking up your cross daily means something different to each of us because we are each called to live out our callings in the world differently. We are not all professional Christians. We are many different things. Some of us are teachers. Some are farmers. Some are doctors. Some are service workers. Some are laborers. Some are homemakers. You name it, someone's doing it. We are each called to different works in our lives, but we are all equally called to pick up our cross. So what does it mean and what does it look like in our lives? I'm going to tell you what it means to me. Taking up your cross is a choice. We must intentionally choose to pick up the mantle of our faith. The cross is an image of our faith. It's it's tattooed on our bodies. We wear it as jewelry. For many, the cross is simply an accessory. We wear it on our bodies. But do we wear it in our lives? Taking up your cross involves the choice to embody your faith in the world. It's a choice to let people see what you believe in your life through your actions. Taking up your cross means taking up your faith in your life, taking your faith into the workplace, taking your faith into the grocery store, taking your faith downtown your town. Taking up your cross means choosing to be who you claim to be on Sunday every day. This leads me to the second meaning of taking up your cross. Taking up your cross happens daily. We must choose each and every day to take up our cross. Every day we must must choose to be the people of faith that God knows we are. We must continue to live out our faith and embody who we are in Christ to the rest of the world every day. We must take up our cross daily. Lastly, taking up your cross means living one life. One life means that we stop pretending to be different people in different situations. Millennials like to call this being authentic. Being authentic, living an authentic life. I'm the same person. If you run into me in the grocery store, I'm the same person there that I am here on Sunday morning and the same person here on Sunday morning that I am at the pickup line at my son's elementary school. I'll cut you off there too doesn't change we are not Christian people and secular people we need to be authentically ourselves and live a life of faith that is just us being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ trying to figure out their life of faith in the world as they journey with Christ Paul encapsulates this idea in 1 Corinthians 10 31 where he writes Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Taking up your cross means choosing to live out your faith in the world every day of your life. It means living an authentic life of faith, one life where you follow Jesus. Following Jesus isn't easy. 
It isn't always easy. It isn't always fun. It isn't always filled with fame and fortune. Following Jesus doesn't mean that your life goals and plans will be fulfilled. There is another side to following. And instead of hiding this hard truth, this reality from the people, Jesus made it clear. Self-denial and taking up a cross is part of what it means to follow him. While I want to be clear that salvation is free and costs us nothing, in time, following Jesus will cost us something. It might cost us, it might even cost us everything. We will know when this defining moment comes because it will feel like a conflict of interest that simply will not go away. We will agonize over it. We will pray over it. We will struggle with it. And when we, and when we do, we'll know that the decision we face is God asking us to live up to the terms and conditions of the fine print. For some, this self-denial will, that God asks of us will actually feel like a death. It will feel like dying. But Jesus is clear that death will lead to resurrection because he said whoever loses his life, whoever loses their life for Christ, for the sake of his message, will find life. When we follow the fine print, when we fully agree to the terms and conditions laid out by Christ, we find life. Life to the fullest and life eternal life eternal. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful for your life-giving presence. We know that there is a cost to following you in this world. When you press upon us to deny ourselves in this life, give us the vision to see your purpose, your love, and your presence in the change. Jesus, give us a cross that we can bear in this world a cross that brings honor and glory to you and you alone. It is in your name that we pray. And everyone said,